Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 12 of the Sci-Fi Feminist. Today I have a really special episode in store. Last week I watched the new Mortal Kombat movie and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it was a pretty good movie for what it is, which is a video game turned into a movie. I've seen some epic fails in the past, especially regarding fighting game movies, but I think this one was quite good and I really enjoyed watching it. So today I'm going to talk a bit about feminism and Mortal Kombat, if there is such a thing. Is there feminism in Mortal Kombat? Well, yes, uh, there is and also there isn't. Today I'm going to talk about some of the tropes that we see and also what type of feminism Mortal Kombat or at least the female characters in Mortal Kombat perpetuates. So I hope you enjoy today's episode and I want to thank you for supporting this podcast up to now. Thank you so much for subscribing to the YouTube channel and for listening on there. And thank you for your comments too. If you would like to interact, I think YouTube is a good place to interact. Please leave me a comment in the comment section and then I'll be happy to answer any questions you have regarding feminism or regarding anything that I say or that I don't say in the podcast. So thank you for supporting it. And then let's get into today's episode about Mortal Kombat. So when I was young, I was a big fan of fighting games, actually. The first one I played was Tekken 4. I had a PlayStation 2, and um, I don't know if you remember, but PlayStation 2, it used to come with this demo CD that has like a very short version of a bunch of games. So Tekken 4 was on there. So I actually only played the demo. (laughs) I played like the same four levels for years because I could never afford to buy my own Tekken game. And then eventually I got an Xbox 360 and then I bought Tekken for myself. And um, I think it was only when I got my Xbox One that I got Mortal Kombat 10. I can't remember if I got it with the Xbox or if I bought it, I'm not sure. Um, But that's the first time I really actually played Mortal Kombat. I knew about it before, but all my life I've been more of a Tekken type of girl. Yeah, so it was really nice for me to watch the Mortal Kombat movie so I could also get a greater idea of what the franchise is all about and um, what it's all about. So in the movie, we see a few main female characters. So there is Scorpion's wife and child in the beginning, and they fit the stereotypical damsel in distress role. Um, They are really helpless and... um, Actually, he doesn't actually make it to them. He doesn't get to rescue them, but they are really unable to defend themselves. So there we see this uh, classic stereotype of the weak woman and then the strong man. Um, Unfortunately, he also is unable to defend himself. So maybe that's a bit of a twist on it. Usually the damsel in distress gets rescued by the male hero. But in this case, this didn't happen. However, his descendant, whose name is... Cole Young in the movie. Now, I saw on some forums that Cole Young is actually a new character that they introduced only in the movies. He's not actually in the video games. So, Cole Young, we see right towards the end that um, he is in the same position as his ancestors. 
his ancestor Scorpion, I mean, um, his wife and child also get frozen by Sub-Zero and then he rescues them and ultimately he succeeds. Um, so in that way, then there we have two damsels in distress. However, once again, that is not so clear cut. Uh, there's one scene where his wife actually hits the big guy with the arms <laughs> um, and she actually helps him. And then we also see in another instance that while he's kind of fighting in the cage, she cheers him on and she encourages him. So the damsel in distress trope, it's really something that isn't as common as it used to be. I think it's been criticized so much by media scholars and by video gaming scholars and by feminists that um, people just know that that's a no-no and they don't really feature the damsel in distress trope in movies as much as they used to, also not in video games as much as they used to. Obviously, there is still a bit of that, but um, like I showed here, it's not as clear-cut. There is this really old game. It is called Final Fight, and that's quite funny. There's this really masculine hero, and there's this woman in a red dress, and then he always saves her. So um, that used to be in fighting games too, but um, not as much as it used to be. And um, like I will show regarding Sonya Blade, who is, I think, the main character that I'm going to discuss today and definitely one of my favorite female characters from Mortal Kombat, where she used to be more in a stereotypically damsel in distress role in the older games. Now that's been really refigured a lot and she's barely a damsel in distress anymore. Maybe just in the one scene where the big rock falls on her, on her and then the guy with the arms um, has to dig her out. But that's really hardly um, the damsel in distress. Throughout the entire movie, Sonya Blade is quite capable and she's quite tough and she's quite able to handle herself. So there are two other prominent female fighters in the movie. That is Melina, she's from the dark side, as well as Natura, she's the one with the wings that screeches. So um, actually towards Matura, the other male characters make a really sexist joke. Uh, I can't remember exactly what they said, but uh, she's quite sexualized in terms of her outfit and also in terms of how the male characters talk about her, which was quite weird, <laughs> to be honest. And then Melina, she's not as sexualized as her video game counterpart is. Now, actually, in video games, uh, female fighters in these fighting games, this includes like Street Fighter, Tekken, Mortal Kombat, even though they are generally quite strong, capable female characters, they're usually very sexualized and not a little bit, but quite a lot. So actually, some of my favorite characters from Tekken was Christy Montero. Um, I remember her outfit was like short shorts and a crop top. And um, her breasts were huge and her body was very sexualized, as well as Nina. I quite liked Nina, Nina too, the assassin. Um, she was also quite sexualized. And in Mortal Kombat 2, most of the female characters wear these really skimpy outfits. And they're not only skimpy, but the, the characters also have really large breasts and their outfits kind of draw attention to these feminine parts of them. Um, 
I guess when Mortal Kombat came out, this was type. This was part of the appeal um, to have these uh, really, because the game is so gory and it's supposed to be so shocking. I think they did that to, because that kind of fits the game and it fits the overall aesthetic of the game. And in the same breath, I have to say that you could make the same argument about the male characters in fighting games. Even the male characters are quite sexualized. Uh, one of my favorite male characters in Tekken was Lee Chao Long, and um, there's this one cutscene where he's like sitting on on next to the pool, and you see his whole torso, and he's in this like speedo, and he's also very sexualized actually. So maybe this is just what the genre is. Maybe this is just what it's about. But still, I feel like it's 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 a bit over the top, and especially. I mean, in the old games, it was kind of okay because they were mostly pixels. So um, you could not really see all the details of the women's bodies and their sexualization, although, you know, it was certainly implied. In the new games, like, um, what's that one called? Is it Soul Calibur? I think. I saw a screenshot from that game and you have this like female character who is very sexualized and she's in super HD, like 4K resolution and um, she's still like her breasts are really big, her waist is really thin and her outfit really draws attention to all the sexual parts of her body, which I thought was quite unnecessary and gratuitous and um, that's still a trend we see today. I was shocked to see that in a video game that came out like in 2018. Um, it kind of shows that maybe we're not as progressive as we think, you know, if that is still considered female empowerment. This is an interesting fact. Actually, in Street Fighter, initially it only had male fighters. But then later they realized that more women were playing video games and they also enjoyed it. So they introduced female fighters. So this is quite an interesting point too. You know, are the female fighters there for girls to play video games so that they feel like they have a character that is their gender that they can um, fight with? Or are the female fighters there for the male gamers to look at or to appeal to the male gamers? Maybe it's a little bit of both, I think. Um, I certainly, as a girl, I prefer to to fight with male with female fighters. Maybe it's just me. Uh, maybe the gender of the fighter doesn't matter for most people. Maybe male gamers choose the female fighters because they are good to look at. I'm not sure. But personally, for me, I like to play as a female fighter because I'm a girl. So um, there's that aspect of it, too, that we also need to consider. Right, so back to the movie, then it's quite good to see that most of the women in the movie, they are not actually that sexualized. Now I'm going to focus more on Sonya Blade because she features the most. So Sonya Blade in the video game, her original outfit was um, actually not as sexualized as the other fighters outfits. She used to wear like um, a sports bra and like exercise pants which then later turned into a more military style outfit. So perhaps she's not as sexualized as most of them. And um, this is quite an interesting thing that it says on the Mortal Kombat wiki about Sonya Blade. So I'm quoting, it says, Sonya represents a very emancipated and headstrong woman, but for all her stubbornness and pride, she deeply cares about the lives of her friends and comrades. And then right at the end of this 
uh, part about Sonya. It says, like most Mortal Kombat characters, Sonya also fits a character archetype, being the series' first damsel in distress. She was frequently kidnapped by the forces of evil early on in the series' canon. However, as the series went on, she became less of a damsel in distress. I think that's quite interesting to see how this character changed over the years and um, how she went from being a damsel in distress to actually being, I think, one of the more progressive fighters we see in the game. So, in the movie, in terms of Sonya's outfit at least, um, they chose an actress who is definitely, um, how can I say, heterosexually attractive um, and she definitely has a good figure. But she's, in my opinion at least, she's more um, fit than sexualized, if you know what I mean. Um, her outfit too, she doesn't wear short shorts or anything that's very revealing, but she wears an outfit that you would expect a person from the military to wear. She wears these um, baggy pants, or they're not really baggy, but more military style pants and boots, and then she also wears a tank top kind of like the new Lara Croft as well. And then the tank top isn't the very low halter one. Um, it doesn't really draw attention to her breasts, um, although it doesn't really draw attention to her muscles either, because the actress isn't particularly muscular, like Sarah Connor, for example. But um, I think they did quite well to not make her, um, how can I say, gratuitously sexualized or unnecessarily sexualized. Um, her outfits and everything, it really kind of fits the situation that she's in. Um, it's not out of place, if I can say it like that. And when we see Melina too, for the first time, um, her outfit definitely draws a little bit more attention to her feminine aspects, um, like her hips and her armor, like has these specific um, parts that's on her breasts, like only her breasts have armor, it's quite weird. <laughs> so um, that kind of forces us to look at her breasts. So that one is definitely, she's a bit more sexualized, but maybe it's because she's also fighting for the evil side. There's also this, this trope that evil women are more sexualized for some reason. <laughs> maybe it goes back to the whole Lilith thing. Um, if you don't want to know what the Lilith thing is, then please listen to episode 10 about Lilith. Um, so it might go back to that, I'm not sure. But um, in terms of Sonya Blade, at least, I think they did quite good to make her not as sexualized. And then we see that she kidnapped this guy called Kano, and he's a bit of a loose cannon. <laughs> so um, they have this very strange relationship where they keep insulting each other. And then the first time we meet her and Kano, he says something really sexist to her. Um, I'm not going to repeat it because I don't like to say it, but he makes quite a sexist statement. And then the first thing she does is she like beats him up. <laughs> so I felt a bit like, oh, cool. You know, she just punches him and she's like, you know, what the heck? And then later she, she makes a deal with him because he knows where the temple is, where they train for the Mortal Kombat um, tournament. Um, and then she's like, okay, I'll offer you two million if you take us there. Because he's just like, I'm going to leave. And then um, he's like, oh, where are you going to get two million? And she's like, I'll give you two million if you take us there. And then he's like, okay, three million. And she's like, okay, done deal. And then later, what's his name? The main guy, Cole, Cole Young, 
he asks her, where are you going to get two million? Because <laughs> she lives in the trailer. Like, she's not rich. And then she's like, what, you think I'm really going to give him two million? Lol, no, I'm just going to, you know, use him to, to get there and, you know, we'll see what happens. So I think that was quite good, too. Um, we see that she just kind of like, yeah, you know, you're stupid, so <laughs> you're an idiot or you treat me so poorly, so I'm just going to use you to do this. Obviously, there's a negative stereotype, too, which is that women are really manipulative um, and that women are sneaky. <laughs> um, but then we can say the same about some of the male characters in the in the shows, uh, in the movies. So, yeah, I don't think that's a big problem. Actually, I felt like it's justice, you know, when when she did that. Yeah, but that's just my opinion, of course. And then... In the desert, they have this kind of a fight. And I can see Sonia is more of a... We can see she's a good character. She's a inherently probably a good person. Like it says here on the Mortal Kombat wiki. We see that he's like, no, fight me for, for the sign. Because you need to kill someone else that has the sign to get the sign, right? So then she easily beats him in combat, actually. Uh, she really easily beats him, but then she decides not to kill him. And she's just like, nah, I'm not going to do it. Um, so I think that was quite good, too. Uh, but it's a bit frustrating. And then later, when they pair the people up, who's going to fight against who, we see that initially Sonia wants to fight Melina because Melina... Um, messed her up quite badly in a previous scene but then they're like no you're gonna fight this guy you're gonna fight uh, what's his name Kano so then we see that they have a final showdown and what's quite interesting about the way she fights him here because he obviously has the advantage now because he um, he got the the laser eye through training so he has the laser eye and she knows that she's at a disadvantage. So what she does is she fights him with her brain rather than her body. So she uses the um, the floor and she hides in the floor and then she she kind of um, traps him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. It's very difficult to explain. But <laughs> my point is that she doesn't uh, fight him with brute strength initially she fights him only with her brain and because of that he ends up losing or he ends up being at quite a disadvantage and then through that she also manages to destroy the advantage that he has regarding that eye that laser eye that he has so this reminded me a lot about the heroines in science fiction from the 1970s and 1980s when we look at Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor, for example, they also, although they sometimes fight with brute strength, a lot of the time they also use their brains <laughs> rather than their bodies uh, to do the fighting. Like Sarah Connor, when she escapes from the mental asylum in the beginning of Terminator 2, she realizes that with brute strength alone, she's not going to be able to get out of this asylum. So she rather uses tactics. She... she um, takes the her hair, not the hairpin, a paper clip. She steals a paper clip and then she makes herself, gets herself loose from her chains. And then she eventually uses a syringe and some chemicals. And she holds one of the nurses hostage um, so that they can let her out. So 
Uh, that's quite interesting about female heroes is that we see them use brains rather than brute strength uh, to to fight. So I think that's quite interesting. And then later, of course, she does use brute strength. Um, she actually kills him <laughs> and then she gets the sign. Um, she she stabs him in the eye with a, a gnome, a garden gnome, which I thought was quite a, a gory detail, but the whole movie is quite gory. I think that's the point. So um, yes, that's what happens with Sonia Blade. And then there's some satisfaction because this guy that is so sexist and you know that keeps taunting her throughout and especially because she doesn't have a sign in the beginning everyone's like oh you're kind of useless you know because you don't have the sign the dragon sign um but then eventually she takes this sign from the very guy that has been so sexist toward towards her um from the very beginning so i guess there is some um i guess some satisfaction in that narrative but also uh, an interesting thing that we can gain from this, and this is maybe I'm interpreting it too much now, but um, that sign is also, it carries a lot of power. Um, if you have the sign, then you can access these um, really supernatural powers, which helps you fight in the Mortal Kombat tournament. So without the sign, you're quite powerless. So by taking the sign from this guy specifically, not from any other character like Melina or, you know, someone who would make more sense um, for her to fight. Um, she takes it from this guy that that has been suppressing her and oppressing her from the very beginning. So it could also mean perhaps um, like a reclamation of power from Sonia Blade's side, uh, how she reclaims power from patriarchy. Um, as a woman, and maybe as a blonde woman, um, there's a stereotype about blondes, obviously, that, but I guess about all women, <laughs> whether you have red hair or black hair or blonde hair, um, but especially blondes, um, that, oh, they're always really sexy, and um, so she really reclaims the power from the guy, and then she really subverts all of those really negative stereotypes about women, and especially also about blonde women. So I thought that was quite an interesting detail and and I wonder if they actually planned it like that, <laughs> like that was part of the narrative. Um, of course, we're not sure whether people writing the script or writing the movie actually had feminism in mind, but um, I think that was a very interesting choice of events to take place. And then, of course, with her newly gained powers, she goes and she helps Cole. She helps Cole Young and the other members of the Earth team uh, also fight against the forces of evil. So I think Sonia's narrative in this movie, at least, is quite um, progressive uh, as far as fighting movies go. Another thing that I quite appreciated was the fact that they didn't put the female fighters against each other. Now, in episode 5, I think, I criticized Raya and the Last Dragon quite a bit, because they put two heroines against each other. And that is obviously also another classic trope or stereotype that um, two beautiful women always fight against each other. They can never work together as a team. Now, although Sonia Blade is actually the only woman, the only female fighter from the Earth realm, um, and she doesn't really fight together with other female fighters, I was quite surprised when at the end they decided to put her against, what's his name? 
Kano, I keep forgetting his name, that they decided to put her against Kano and not against one of the other female fighters. That is really something that I expected because it's been a stereotype for so long that if there's two chicks, you know, from either side, like one from the good side and one from the bad side, then they always need to fight against each other. So I think that was quite good too and that was quite progressive on the part of Mortal Kombat as well. Now, of course, um, I'm talking about all of the positive aspects of Sonya Blade, and I think I really can't find much wrong in terms of feminism regarding her character, except for uh, the fact that, you know, in the in the video games, she's, she's quite sexualized, um, although not as much. I think she's definitely the most tomboyish one out of all the female fighters. But on the dark side, um, the female fighters from there, especially the one with the wings, that was really, um, she was not only sexualized, but also her death. I found it quite brutal and um, quite unnecessary. But once again, um, this is Mortal Kombat we're talking about. It's all about the gore and the, the gruesome death scenes. But the way that that um, woman is killed is very gory and very gratuitous. And I think, um, obviously, we feel some satisfaction when we see her die because she's one of the bad guys. But again, you know, there's such a, a problem with violence against women um, in our current society and in the current zeitgeist. So images like that um, really make me feel a little bit uncomfortable, maybe because it's too close to home or maybe because um, you know of all the other things you see regarding violence against women in the media but once again like I say this is uh, the type of movie that we're watching so if you don't want to see women being killed in really brutal ways then don't play or watch Mortal Kombat I guess that's what it comes down to although I think they could have um, killed her in a more I don't know civil way she kind of falls on the guy's hat and she's literally like sword in two pieces and it's it's really quite hectic yeah um so yes that is it regarding mortal kombat i'm sorry that this episode is quite short but um i don't want to waste time talking nonsense or talking about things that aren't in the movie or that aren't relevant to the movie um in this episode i just briefly wanted to talk about mortal kombat and the mortal kombat movie so i hope that you enjoyed this episode and if you would like to hear more on video games and um, maybe fighting games or other fighting fighting game movies, then you're welcome to let me know and um, hit me up and then I will um, try to incorporate it in some of the future episodes. For next week's episode, you can look forward to a really interesting discussion on the latest version or the new version of the cyborg from Star Trek, Seven of Nine. I'm going to look a bit at, at her representation in Star Trek Picard and I was really excited because I recently or just today actually I saw a, a picture of a behind the scenes a shot from Star Trek Picard and I hear it involves some time travel too. So next week I'll be talking about the rebooted Seven of Nine and until then I hope you have a wonderful week and live long and prosper. This is the Sci-Fi Feminist signing out for now. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. 
Computer. List other available Holosuite media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program Four: Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene, thinking that it was game over before it even started, and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, <laughs> yeah. which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like. About, I don't know, I think it's like 62 abs. He just looked ripped. And then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this. Yeah. A little bit of that. I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Fu, maybe we should be calling it. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Voyages, a Star Trek original, animated, and Kelvin Films podcast. Full honesty, I did find that the scene was seemingly long when they were driving with him and, and Scotty to get to the Enterprise when they were in their little capsule. I felt that that was a very long scene driving around the whole Enterprise. But find yourself someone in life that looks at you the way Kirk looked at the Enterprise. I mean, that was a beautiful moment. And I absolutely adored when Spock came back onto the Enterprise. Just how everybody on the bridge, like Yuhura and Chekhov and everybody, they just kind of rallied around him. And it was a really warming moment just to see that original core group of people just celebrate him and happy to see him. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.